Hey, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse family. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay. You can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of true crime stories and other news stories that we use to talk about issues related to nursing and healthcare in general. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys, anyone who's living in Tennessee and Georgia, that if you're a nursing student, that the state student nurse associations for each of those states are going to have Good Nurse, Bad Nurse to do a live show. So we are really excited about this. And if you are living in Tennessee or Georgia, planning on going to the Student Association Conference in either of those states, uh, the one in Tennessee is going to be the weekend of September the 25th. We'll be there on that Saturday in Georgia. We will be there on October the 8th. We'll be there on that, that Friday the 8th. So if you're a student and planning on going to, please stop by and say hello to us. I would love to get to meet you guys. And if you're just absolutely desperate for entertainment at an event that you're having, you can drop me an email and we might be able to work something out. I'd love to do a live show for you or even just a regular keynote speech if that's what you're looking for, whatever. We, we're up for whatever. So now I guess that's enough of the housekeeping stuff. I would like to introduce my guest host for this week and my good friend and fellow podcaster, Adrienne, from the very popular nursing podcast, Nursing Uncensored. Welcome, Adrienne. Hi, it's nice to be here. It's always great to talk to you. We always have such good talk. Always, always. I love it. We have been doing this since I started I, that I can remember. I feel like I met you very early on in this whole process. Yeah, we've been friends a long time, yeah. it seems, in this, in this online space. We've never met in person, but <laughs> I feel like we've known each other. I mean, it's literally been years now. Yes. So it's fun. And I love, this is one of the things that I absolutely love about the fact that I started this podcast is getting to meet people like you all over the country, all over the world. And yeah. It's just really made it a huge, huge blessing for me and so much fun. You've been on my show. Yes. I've been on your show. Yep. We've done the Nurses Roundtable together. <laughs> yes. People should listen to all those episodes that we've done together. So what she's talking about, you guys, that is a kind of a, a roundtable of like multiple nursing podcasters where we mm -hmm. kind of get together. There's usually like, what, four or five six people that all have different podcasts that are pertaining to nursing. And we literally just kind of like tackle a subject and wear it out. And we just, just let loose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. And I, well, the next one that we're doing is my baby sort of because 
I'm really excited to get to do this. We're going to be talking about nurses really being treated as professionals and just the general population and what their perception is of nurses and trying to get a new narrative for what nurses do that's more appropriate to our skill set and the requirements of our education. You guys kind of be looking for that to come down the road here and just hopefully in a few weeks. We'll see if we can get all of our, all the stars to align. And actually, <laughs> Tina... After we talked about that topic yesterday, I actually dreamed about it. Like I dream and I didn't just dream about the topic. Like I dreamed about how I'm preparing for that episode. So like I, it's so on my mind that I'm actually like dreaming what I want to talk about on that show. So I'm really excited. I'm excited about, about it too. Have you ever yes. dreamed an outline yes. for an episode? And I'll wake up and be like, wait, did I have that? Did I record that already? Or did I? Down. Yes. So and I'm I'm excited. I want to get people thinking about this. I really do. I want to get you all thinking about this if you're listening to this. I want you to be looking for this episode to be releasing in the next, hopefully in the next few weeks, go on and follow us on Instagram at Adrian. What is the official? It's the nurses round table here. Let me make sure of that. We're also on Spotify. So if you look for the nurses round table on Spotify, we're also under the nurse podcasters collective on Instagram, we are the Nurses Roundtable. So you can find us under the Nurses Roundtable. It's a blue logo here. I'm going to hold it for those of you that are watching. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Look at my terrible skills. Anyway, it's the Nurse Podcasters Collective, and our show is called the Nurses Roundtable. And we've done three episodes mm -hmm. so far. And yeah, it's on Spotify. You should go check it out. It's probably on a bunch of other platforms too, but I haven't physically gone to look for them, but we're all over the place. We're also on YouTube, but yeah, Tina and I have done that together and we've been joined by a bunch of other great podcasters like the Gritty Nurse Podcast, Art of Emergency Nursing, the Neurodivergent Nurse. We've had Q the Nurse on the show. We've had Erica Bailey, who is on Instagram with the Nurses of Color Collective. Who am I missing? We're going to have the fellas from a couple of nurses on the next episode. So it really, and, and we're not going to stop there. So I don't want to go on and on about that, but I'm really excited about that project because I get to work with like all of these podcasters and it's just kind of a baby that we're like a little flower that we're growing together and we don't even know what it what it we're kind of making it up as we go along so thank you for letting that collective plug happen I'm really excited about that project I am too it gives us I feel like it just gives us all you know this voice and I want people to go there and listen because it's not just one person's perspective you've got nurses from all over nurses you know, international the gritty nurses are out of Canada so you just get different perspectives and we're talking about really important subjects I mean there's no telling what in the world we'll, we'll tackle next but we're gonna you know after this next one, but we all are the kind of people that, you know, once you get us started on something, we, we, we just don't, you know, we can't stop. So I feel like if you guys want to hear something in particular, all you have to do is just like send a, either one of us an email and message us and let us know. It will hash out anything. I guarantee it. Get us in a, in a zoom call and, yeah. uh, <laughs> hard times shutting everybody up. We're all just, it's great. I feel like it's, it's kind of like the view or, you know, one of those types of shows like, <laughs> Except, so awesome. Except we're all, except we're all nurses. So um, <laughs> yeah, it gets it can get a little a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, and we don't all agree, which is great. I love it. We don't all agree. That's we'll, the most we'll all... important part. That's yes. the most important part. It's not just like this one like monochromatic view of things. So um, that's what's that's what's so important. So what are we talking about today? Besides besides that. <laughs> 
So this bad nurse that we're going to be talking about this week, her name is Donna Trapani. And wow, this is a snapped episode. As you guys know, snapped episodes for me are kind of like bedtime stories. (laughs) Like I literally just like watch them. Lullaby. Something is so wrong with me (laughs) that I have to watch snapped to be able to go to sleep. Adrian, do you even understand what my problem is? I feel like there is something seriously wrong with me. No, it's like I heard, I don't remember who I heard talk about this, but there's actually an underlying like psychological and emotional reason for this. So I heard this isn't, this isn't my own theory, but it makes perfect sense when you think about it as women. Okay. You know, most, most of the victims, I mean, I don't watch all of these crime shows, but a lot of these crime, these true crime shows that we see, a lot of Mm -hmm. the victims are women, you know, they're, they're mothers, they're, well, you know, you can go through the list, sister, daughter, yeah. friend, whatever. They're women usually that are victims to this. And as women, we often see that the crimes committed against us are largely unreported, unpunished. And with these shows like Snapped or with these like mini series that we see about crimes perpetrated against women and these mysteries who done it. We have at the end, usually most of the time, which is why we have the shows, we have a finale. We have an answer. We have a crime mm-hmm. and a punishment. You know, we get a sentencing, we get some kind yeah. of resolution. And that I think to women somewhere at the base <laughs> of our brains is, mm-hmm. is comforting. It's you know, empowering somehow. We need, yeah, it's like, we need that sense of like, this mm-hmm. was not okay. And it's not just going like, unpunished, you know, off into the wind, like so many crimes against women do. So, so when I heard that theory passed, I was like, you know, yeah, that kind of makes sense. There's some like weird comfort to that of like, this was a horrible story. And that part, I don't understand that part is kind of twisted up, but there is something comforting, I think, to knowing that like the creepo in this story, you know, there's some kind of like conclusion. We can turn off Netflix at night or turn off Snapped and be like, they got what was coming to them. You know, that kind of. Well, one thing I will say about Snapped is it generally, not all, not, I think not always, but usually it's the women are the ones that did whatever it was. So I think that might be what's really appealing to women is just, it's like, you know, it's the women are the ones that are like, you take it's this. like, I don't really want you doing that bad thing. <laughs> That's like a totally but different at apology. Was, at least she was on their <laughs> other foot for once. So the thing is, there's like 29 seasons of this show. So there's a lot of the stuff that goes on that maybe uh, we, we didn't realize. But make no mistake, you guys, and as you well know, from the stories that I do week in and week out, they're the vast majority of violence committed in the world is male and female and not, you know, female and male, not the, it, when it comes to the opposite sex is not female and male. So just to let you know. But like, that's why our culture, I think almost, I mean, to be, I mean, I'm just going to say it, you know, I have the uncensored podcast. I'm just going to say it. Like we almost like laugh or like celebrate in some weird way. Like, for example, the the, the name of the show is Snapped. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she snapped. Mm-hmm. She finally snapped. She had enough. So we kind of almost like give some room mm-hmm. for women to like, oh, like we uh, almost ex- not excuse it, but we we have like a different a different tolerance for it, right. I guess, like snapped, 
sounds different. Snapped is like when you break under pressure. Somehow it's not as sinister as... Yeah, yeah, as like just the word itself. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like we do make some accommodations for women in some way because it's not the the overwhelming norm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just some weird perspective, but I think you're probably right. I think I think that the, you know, male and female crimes, for one thing, you'll have men you know, watch that going, who could do that to a woman, you know, yeah. and just be mortified about that. And then you have all females are, are going to hate it and just be like horrified and just terrified and to their core. But then female on male crimes are just so different. They're first of all, extremely rare because, you know, these, these shows have, when I say there's 29 seasons, they, they've had to go back many, many, many generations to get all these shows. It's not like they just happen all the time. And we also, you know, we culturally, we make fun of it. Like I'm, some some of our younger listeners mm-hmm. might not remember, but like we have jokes about like don't be Lorena Bobbitt. Like for those of you that remember Lorena Bobbitt, like right. it almost became a cultural joke, mm-hmm. you know, in relationships. Like if you don't, if you piss me off, I'll Lorena Bobbitt you, you know, like those kinds of. But it almost <laughs> like it almost had a mocking to it, you know, not like this was a serious mm-hmm. crime. This was like a serious thing that was done. Well, and of course. It is. It is very serious. And of course, we would never condone the behavior. But culturally, we make fun of it, you know, mm-hmm. or at least we did back in the 90s or what, whenever that was. Oh, I remember what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And that poor woman's name is like, a so you know, like I said her name and you automatically know who I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Exactly what you're talking and about. And for those of you that don't, I'll let you figure that out on your own. I'm, we won't tell that story here. Yeah. You know, One quick yeah. Google search. Just oh, don't look at the no, images. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Anyway, I keep, I keep taking you on <laughs> so, these tangents. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's what makes our episodes so amazing. Whenever you come on, it's so awesome. They're just, we I'm always go on. Place, I love guys. it. I love the Tina tangents <laughs> that we go on. <laughs> Mike with Simple Nursing calls them Tina tangents. He's like, uh-oh, we went on another Tina tangent. Oh, well, the two of us together. Oh, man. <laughs> you can't even. Well, so this is the story of Donna Trapani, and we kind of have to go we kind of have to start with a different couple. So we're going to, it's going to take us a little bit to get to Donna. We're going to start out with Martha Gail Fulton and her husband, Martha, or actually she went by Gail, Gail Fulton. She had a degree in speech pathology and worked as a librarian and was described as a very religious person. She met George Fulton who attended West Point. They met at, at a Catholic youth group, ended up having three children. They lived in Lake Orion, Michigan. And George was a traveling salesman, and unfortunately, admitted to having many affairs on the road, believing that his wife wouldn't find out. Mm-hmm. So all of that is sort of like to establish who are who this couple is to kind of start off the story. And we'll get around to the, the nurse here in just a little bit. But October the 4th of 1999, two librarians were leaving the library when they found the body of their co-worker, Gail Fulton, lying in the parking lot with a gunshot wound to the head. They quickly called 911. So when police arrived, they noticed several things. First of all, her car had a flat tire. And so police immediately began investigating the case, found video footage. There's video footage. Nowadays, you almost can't do anything without there being video footage. Like, you know, they can sort of piece together all the CC footage, CCTV footage, you know, from like, oh, they were here and then here, you know, and sort of almost follow a timeline to see what happened. 
and there was that you know CCTV footage right outside the library, and so they start looking at that, and they did find the footage of a car with three people in it committing the murder. However, they weren't able to see the license plate, and the image was so blurry that they weren't even really able to see who the people were, and then even the the person that pulled the trigger. So that really didn't help them a whole lot. So they assumed that, you know, or they could, they could see uh, what happened is she started to pull out, had a flat tire, pulled back in. And right when that happened, this, this car pulled up and a person got out of the back seat, shot her in the head, left her there just to bleed, bleed out on the ground. And at this point, there really weren't any other clues. Her husband had an alibi. His children were at home with him. Of course, we know that doesn't mean that he didn't have someone else do it, or there was even a theory that George Fulton snuck out of this home while his children were at home and then shot her and then came back. So they just didn't have any real evidence of any of that. And I'm sure that there was still a lot of speculation and, and you know, concern that somehow he was involved, because that's always the first right, person right. that they look at is, um, you know, a you know, spouse, significant other. So it might have ended there, really, because it very well could have been a dead end. But they were helped along by a tip from a man who claimed to know the details of the murder. Now, you can imagine being a police officer, getting a phone call on a case that you really have exhausted all of the evidence. You've looked at the video footage. You've interviewed all the people. You don't have anywhere else to go. And then all of a sudden you get this phone call from someone who says, I know that someone in your area was murdered and I know who did it. And they give very specific details to the point that the police are kind of sitting up going, hmm, this person really has to know about this. This can't be just some, you know, fake call or trying to get attention because they know way too much about this. So one thing I'll say about this is that it's a little, I've done enough of these <laughs> stories and have watched enough of these shows to know that it's it's a little bit dangerous to interject yourself into a investigation like that because they really could just start looking at you and just say, hmm, mm-hmm. "Who are you? Why Where do are you, you know all of this?" So yeah, uh huh, yep. Mm-hmm. How do you know information that's very specific to this murder and that only someone directly mm-hmm. involved would know? But that's what this person did. Bold move, and he alleged uh, it really was bold. Now, I do think there was uh, some reasons for that. This, I, I believe this was an ex-boyfriend of one of the people that was involved, and they were literally just trying to basically get them in trouble. <laughs> so, And this happens all the time. And I always just say, you know, like, I don't ever try to give advice on the podcast just because I'm not in that business of giving advice. But there's one, one piece of advice that I pretty consistently like to try to remind people of, and that is, if you can, are considering doing something illegal, hurting someone, plotting a murder, trying to off your spouse or your significant other or whatever. Let me just tell you, I've done enough of these stories to know that very, very, very intelligent people get caught at this all the time. So just don't do it. That's my advice. Do not do it. You are not smarter than the entire investigative department of your, like wherever you live. Yep, you're not. I'm telling you, you're going to get caught, get that thought right out of your head and move on with your life. Get the divorce, 
do what you have to do to get yourself out of the situation. The answer to this, to your problem, you were cheating. I promise you, deal with not the to consequences. Break yeah. off the marriage. Go live yes. your life. Don't hire some dipshit from another county. No, don't. That doesn't. That work. is not the that answer. Work. No, that is definitely not the answer. So, what this guy who called this, uh, you know, this informant, he says that there was a nurse named Sybil Paget who was involved. Now he he's somewhat involved with this person or or like I said I think that was it was like an ex-girlfriend. But the problem is Sybil Paget lived in Florida. Now this is in Michigan, remember. So we're like talking a thousand miles away. And seemingly had no obvious link to Gail Fulton or her husband. So Michigan investigators immediately are just like what's going on? But you know what they're going to do? They mm-hmm. they went all the way down to Florida because they're like, I, I we, we need to figure out what's going on. We're going to have to interview some people. They're going to be like, we're going to knock on your door. We're going to get some sunshine. Yeah, of all the places to have to go from Michigan to Florida. <laughs> so they go to Florida. They met with Sybil. And it didn't take long for them to figure out that Donna Trapani did, in fact, have a connection to Gail Fulton, who had a connection with Sybil this person that they went down there and Donna Trapani is somewhat connected. We'll, we'll get mm-hmm. into her here in just a minute, but there is a connection and they start putting this all together very quickly while Sybil sits there drinking a glass of wine, chatting with the investigators. She's just so relaxed in a hotel room. So here, I just love this though. She's sitting here drinking a glass of wine, chatting with investigators. She starts, you know, explaining, you know, like I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't do anything. I have no idea. I don't know this person. Well, they get a search warrant to search her house. So I love it. They're sitting here at a hotel. <laughs> and she's just like, I have nothing to do with this. I am so relaxed and laid back. I have no, not a care in the world. And they're going through her stuff. They find details of Gail's movement, the, vict- the victim. They find Gail's work address, a map, and a photograph of Gail. So while Sybil's sitting here all relaxed, drinking, sipping on her wine, they're literally f- looking and finding. I mean, you can't, you can, it's like a comedy of errors. You can't even make this up. Survey it's so says, ridiculous. This is so, a lie. Of course, oh. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden she breaks down, uh, starts confessing, blubbering, I'm sure, like an idiot, telling the police, okay, 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 I'll tell you everything. And she starts spilling the whole the whole thing. You really are smarter than me. Right. Okay. You figured it out. It, my boyfriend did it. You know, of course she starts. And that's what happens too. you guys, you know, you always have to feel like you got to get other people. They start pointing their fingers at every at, at each other. So her boyfriend, she's like, it's my boyfriend, Patrick Alexander. He had also been involved. But Donna Trapani is the person that she was really kind of indicating that was the big mastermind, who was another nurse, of course, that she's the one that had instructed them exactly what to do. So let's tell a little bit about Donna Trapani. Donna K. Trapani was originally from Louisiana. Now that does sound like a Southern, you know, Louisiana kind of name. She was a self-proclaimed workaholic. In Florida, she had a home health business. I mean, this woman was very successful in business. 
former employees claimed that she was manipulative and had a temper. She did not sound like a very mm-hmm. pleasant woman to work for. It sounded like somebody that I would just be like, I'm moving on. Thank you very much. I don't move. I don't live. I don't work in toxic situations like this, but didn't sound like a lot of fun to work for her. And she had until July of 1999 been having an affair with Gail's husband, George. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career, and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet and I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So apparently they met in a bar in Florida in October of 1997. And she hired him initially to help her with her business. And then at some point, you know, they they start having an affair. George was even living in Florida temporarily, supposedly, I guess, related Mm -hmm. to his work with Donna. Gail knew about her. He knew about her, but he, he has a, you know, he's working down there. So he justifies it by that. And she... I guess just think so. 
she's his boss, you know, nothing to be concerned there. In October of 1998, Gail discovered the infidelity and asked George if he wanted a divorce. You know, she's just like, well, this is what's been going on. I guess you don't want to be married anymore. He didn't want a divorce. Instead, he wanted to patch everything up and he wanted to come home. He left Florida, came home and started focusing on his marriage and his family. So Donna did not like that one bit. She didn't appreciate it. She claimed she was pregnant. This is a grown is, woman. But also you said I mean, that she was like, to- like pe- what did, how did people describe her again? Like she was manipulative. Interesting. Okay, please continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's hold oh, yeah. that thought a little foreshadowing. Well, to further add to the drama, of course, she had to claim that she had cancer. It wasn't good enough that she, she was pregnant. She had to have cancer. Oh, she's pregnant and she has cancer, which, you know, is not to mock because this happens to real people. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And it's disgusting to think of someone saying that, that it, it's not true. That's what I'm saying. Like, this could, this is like a real tragic thing that happens. Oh, it certainly does. It's horrible. Well, of course, George is thinking, oh, dear, what have I done? I'm literally going to have this baby, you know, a child. So what am I going to do? He told her to come to Michigan for the 4th of July weekend. And he wanted Donna and Gail to meet, which they did not, neither of them wanted to do. They did not, they were not interested in meeting each other. But George apparently gets his way because they did meet in a hotel room. And apparently at one point, George left the women alone and they got into a massive argument. Can you imagine that? That that they wouldn't have just like gotten together and, and just been all happy and everything's fine. Also, it's weird to me because like, while I, I would hope I'd never be in this situation, like under what circumstances would I want my hypothetical husband to introduce me to his pregnant girlfriend in a hotel room? Oh, goodness. Like maybe like go out for coffee, come like maybe not come to the house if you've got kids there, but like meet in a hotel like all this seems like weird and shady and like shifty to me like and it's and then he leaves them very dirty very just gross you leave two people who don't want to meet each other alone in a hotel room together also like i'm like okay i wouldn't be happy okay so this is all of this that you're saying to me i'm like this gives me like the cringies Oh, gosh. Oh, so much so. From everything that I understand about Gail, she seems like a wonderful person, very family oriented. And so I honestly could see her just from from what I not obviously not knowing as as mm-hmm. much as you can know from from reading about someone on the internet, but I could see her trying like thinking, okay, this is going to be a child. I want to do the best I can. It's going to be a part of him if we're going to make this work. Like a half sibling to my children. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll have to figure something out. If that's that, This happens. This definitely happens. And so I could see her just trying to put all that as, aside and just going, okay, I, I'm going to have to figure out a way to work this out. But in a hotel room, uh, yeah, it's just gross. So George took her home and then snuck out of the house and returned back to the hotel to see Donna to, quote, break things off, mm-hmm. which he did. He broke he broke off the relationship after, you know, consummating the little meeting there. But she went back to Florida. Donna went back to Florida and then started leaving angry voicemails. He wouldn't return her calls. That just made her more furious. 
Donna's business actually started failing. It's like she just kind of psychologically was just unwinding and completely just kind of going off the deep end, really. And really was starting to blame George for it because he wasn't there. And somehow it was his fault that her business was failing. And this is a very intelligent woman who had built a, a really amazing business. And she's just letting all of this go because of this man. It's so frustrating. So here we are, you know, you've got this woman with an excellent reputation who has never hurt anyone. You know, the thing that she lives for the most in life is to care for her family. She's gunned down in cold blood. Then you have her adulterous husband who seemingly, you know, repented about that, you know, trying to remain faithful to his wife and family. And then you've got this woman scorned living thousands of, uh, or a thousand thousand miles away who has been harassing the husband so the investigators have definitely got their work cut out for them, you know, and they're, they're like, okay, what's going on? Well, you've got this anonymous tip. You wouldn't have, you would have never even known who Donna was had it not been for this tip. So this is key. And according to Sybil and Patrick, you know, Sybil was that, that first nurse who her ex-boyfriend told on her. And, and then her boyfriend, who she then pointed the finger at to get herself out of trouble. I feel like I'm in junior high. Kelly told Jason and then Jason told I know. Sammy and Sammy told me. It feels like this every week I'm doing these stories. So he told this and he said that. And then she just, so it's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's not funny, but it's just, it's absurd. Oh, it's just like on a much larger scale. And, and we've hurt, we're hurting so much more, you know, pe- so many more people, but According to Sybil and Patrick, Donna had agreed to pay them to kill Gail. I know that's not a big shocker to people at this point. But they drove from Florida up to Michigan, a 20-plus hour drive. And then once they got there, they decided they couldn't do it. And they came, went back to Florida. So Donna was livid. Okay, good for them. But like now Donna's just like probably ravenously pissed. Oh, she's furious. She gave them money. She thought this was all going to be taken care of. She wasn't going to, ha- you know, she's going to somehow be able to work everything out with George and get, you know, this woman out of the way. So she's like, okay, I've got, I'm going to have to find someone else to do this. She decided to find a trigger man and she hired a man by the name of Kevin Ouellette. And so now the three of them, Sybil, Patrick, and Kevin, all three of them, the three stooges, go back to Michigan. I mean, does it not sound that way? I feel like this is a movie. It does. It does. That's what's so absurd about it. It's like, how many people can we get involved in this like folly? So she had paid them ten to $20,000 to not only kill Gail, but d- they claim that Donna wanted Kevin to shoot everyone in the parking lot to make it look like a random act. That's how ruthless. So just like, hey, can you just like commit a mass shooting just to like make it not look like a targeted hit? Yes. Like what do these people even know what kind of a prison sentence that is to like just take out everybody that happens to be like this isn't a video game. You can't just go and just like take out a slew of people and just walk away from that. At what point does that become a terrorist act? Yes. And for what? For what? What are you accomplishing? Right. Because she's like pissed off that this like dude in another state like doesn't want to be your boyfriend anymore. Move on. I'm sure there's other married men you could like have a mediocre life with, honey. Like, come on. 
Why do you want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with you? Right, right. Well, investigators then spoke to Donna, who told them that she's now 11 months pregnant. The interesting thing about this is that while interviewing her at her house, they noticed that wait, wait, her, wait. 11 yeah. months pregnant. Yeah. But by this time, by the time this happened, you know, she was pregnant, supposedly, you know, in July when they met uh, in the hotel room uh, and Gail met them. And so now all, you know, then Gail was killed. And then all these months later, now she's supposedly 11 months pregnant by the time the investigators get down there to interview her. Wow. So she's got the extra long gestational powers. She's going to give birth to like a two-year-old at some point. While interviewing her at her house, though, they notice her baby bump caved in when a cat jumped on her belly. Have you ever noticed, known someone who was pregnant who, for their baby bump to literally cave in? I mean, my belly caves in all the time, but that's just because it's squishy fatty. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's a, a food, food baby, baby instead it's of like an actual pizza. baby. <laughs> that squishes in when my dog jumps on it, but... Wow. Okay. So she's 11 months pregnant. If someone was actually 11 months pregnant, that would be the biggest basketball belly. Your cat would not deflate an 11 month pregnant belly. No. If anything, that would shoot that baby nope. out. I mean, I jest, I jest, but the, the cat would ricochet off. Yes. And, the, and so the, the police were just like, whoa, something's way off about this. They, they knew. After her arrest, they removed three placemats that were being used as padding. This woman is just a, you know, absolute genius. So she was arrested on December 1st. Oh, no. Wait. Yeah. Three placemats? I know. I can't keep... <laughs> Couldn't find something better, honey. Exactly. Use a basketball for crying out loud. I don't know. So never mind. Don't use anything. How about let's don't lie about being pregnant. Sorry, sorry. I'm like getting <laughs> lost in the, how stupid the details are. I'm sorry. I'm like micro focused here. You and I are kind of similar with our the way we look at things. Like I tend to go off in some weird, you know, comedy land when I to, to deal with dark stuff. That's literally what I do. I'm kind of and that's kind of what I'm doing because I'm like, I know this is a horrible, awful, tragic story. Oh, gosh, yes. But I'm like, you're so dumb. Like, you, how did you even pull this off? Even remotely, and clearly she she didn't. She was arrested on December the 1st, 1999. All three people who drove to Michigan to commit the murder blamed the entire plot on her. They claimed that she gave them a map, Gail's address, and a photograph of her. Under oath, she said she did not provide them with anything, nor did she send them to kill Gail. She says that they did this in order to frame her to extort her. So basically, they were just wanting to get money from her. And so they knew about the situation because Sybil was a nurse that worked for her in her home health company. And so her defense, which I mean, you got to give her props here for 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 being coming up with a creative defense, at least some sort of a story, as ridiculous as it is. But she says that they literally came up with this whole plot to go and kill this woman's boyfriend's wife in order to then turn around and extort her and say, hey, we can tell we're going to tell everybody that you did this if you don't give us money. I mean, it's a these people are I'm sorry, these people aren't even smart enough to come up with that harebrained idea anyway. So that was her story. And she was going to stick to that. Sybil was tried on first degree murder charges. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. That was the the nurse that that worked for the home health for, you know, for Donna. 
Donna was tried on first-degree murder charges, convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Patrick Alexander, that was Sybil's boyfriend, was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 23 to 40 years. He will be eligible for parole on November 29th in 2022. And Kevin Ouellette, mm-hmm. that was the trigger man, was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder. So... You know, this is just a horrible, horrible, sad story. And it's really, it's hard to understand. But for some reason, you have this woman who could not, just could not stand rejection. She just refused to believe that she could be rejected and have to move on and that this woman was going to win. And I, I fully believe it had nothing to do with love. It had nothing to do with, you know, passion or anything. It literally had to do with power. I always think that when it comes to these stories. Mm-hmm. Control. Like she clearly has control issues. And I, I say that just from like reading a single article, but you know, she's manipulative. She's a business owner. She has, you know, people that work underneath her, you know, she sent people to do something. They didn't do it. It sent her into a further rage. Like clearly she is someone who wants what she, what she says to happen. You know, like I tell you to do something, I want you to do it. And so, yeah, I think rejection is just, it it probably was more about like, you will not be the one to reject me. It sounds like it's that kind of patho, like, you know, emotional, mental patho, something like that. Absolutely. She's just literally willing to sacrifice a completely innocent person, mother of, of children. And also random, completely random individuals in the parking lot, whoever happens to be there. Just unbelievable. And, you know, if she was a librarian working in a library, think about the pe- the type of people that we're talking about, people accessing public service, probably children. Not that anybody is expendable, not that some people are, you know, more expendable over others, but just, you know, we're talking, it's, just, it's a super messed up situation. Just the thought, just the, that she could give that blanket statement. They didn't do that. They didn't follow through with that part of it. Good for them for not just, I mean, even though they were still involved, good for them for just not blindly being like, okay, going and taking out a parking lot full of people. Mm-hmm. Good grief. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So, you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com 
and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I guess we can talk about our good nurse story. Flip this coin over and talk about somebody that we actually like. That's what I love about doing this podcast is I get to talk about like the dark stuff and like just be mortified about stuff and just be like so perplexed and sometimes I get so depressed about it just like can people really be like this especially nurses I get so upset sometimes when I'm just thinking this person is a nurse and I have people ask me sometimes like you know why do you want to talk about bad things that nurses do and I'm just like well because they exist shall we not pretend like they're not there because there are bad people in this world and unfortunately sometimes they make it into the healthcare field And uh, do we want them there? No, I'd rather people be aware that there are people out there that slip through the cracks and and end up in like literally working at the bedside and taking care of patients, taking care of your family and taking care of my family and me and you. So yeah, I'm, I'm more of a, I don't like to bury my head in the sand. I like to tackle stuff head on and be like, okay, this is possible. It's this what you know, that's probably another reason why I like to watch the true crime shows. It's like, all right, now I know this is what people are capable of. Yeah. And then you kind of know what behaviors to watch for what boundaries should exist, how to not become a victim of crime yourself. You know, like you said, you've walked away with the lesson, like, just know that if you're thinking of doing something illegal, we live in a world where you will get caught either by DNA, by somebody's camera on the side of their house, like, just don't do it. You're just, you're not smarter than the entire investigative team of whatever, you know, so just, just don't, just don't. Yeah. Your ex-boyfriend as a hitman, probably not a good idea. Yeah. So see, you did learn something from all of this, even though it's, you know, it's a bunch of messed up stories. Well, I love the good nurse story though. And this week, this woman is just amazing. You guys are going to be you're going to be blown away by her, I promise. Her name is Andrea Dalzell, is how I think maybe she says her name. Usually it's the bad nurse that I'm having a hard time pronouncing their name. <laughs> I believe it's D A L Z E L L. She goes by the seated nurse on social media. If you want to look her up on Instagram or wherever you are on social media. But Andrea has received many awards for achievements, and one of those was the New Mobility Person of the Year Award. Because Andrea at 33 is the only registered nurse that she knows of in New York City uh, at the time of this article who uses a wheelchair. And she's forging a path for people with disabilities in healthcare. And I got this article from newmobility.com where they did an article about her because they, they gave her that award. So the interesting thing about her, and Adrienne, you said that you follow her, you followed her yeah. for a while on social media as well. She is a fascinating person because this is not something, it's not like she was in a car accident and then, you know, something she was born with. 
And so she was in a wheelchair. She was in a, uh, she walked uh, with, I think, a walker cane, that sort of thing up until she was about 12 years old. And then she had to go to a wheelchair, but she went, she decided to go to nursing school. And I, I just feel like that is a very rare thing to do to try to tackle something like that. That's so almost unheard of. You know, how many people do you see working in hospitals in wheelchairs? And actually it's interesting because, so first of all, my first reaction when you sent me the link to the article about her award was, Hey, I know her. And the truth is I don't know her. Like, I don't know her personally at all, but you know, you follow people on social media and you get to like, like when she goes live, I try to catch her live. you know, her IG lives, you know, I read her posts. Like I'm just kind of scrolling through her, her Instagram feed right now, but I just, I love watching like, you know, kind of looking at what she's posting and what she's talking about. She is a badass. Like, like we're going to talk about, she's like athletic. I love watching just her journey that she chooses to share online. And one of my first jobs in healthcare was working with young women in the community that had disabilities. And one of those women was in a wheelchair. And so for a long time, I've been working with people that are wheelchair users. And there are actually a few nurses that I follow that are wheelchair users. And so I'm like following her and like cheering her on because I'm like, yes, show people that there is not this, where do I even want to start? Like, I have all these thoughts in my head that I'm like, show them you can do it. Because (laughs) in the article you sent me about her, she said that she had like 73 job interviews and was turned down for like every single one of them. But as we'll get into with her story, I don't want to jump too far ahead. But then when when COVID came, you know, with all the demands of the pandemic, she was able to work at the bedside and was able to show people that she's able to hang like she can do these things. And as well as some other nurses, not in New York State, but there are other nurses that are wheelchair users as well, or nurses that use other supportive devices to help them ambulate. You can't just look at someone and decide what they can do. And so I get really passionate and excited when I see nurses that are showing people what they can do. But I also get really angry when I think about how she had to apply. Can you imagine having to apply for over 70 jobs and having them not even give you a chance? I can't imagine that. I can't even imagine applying for that many. So anyway, I want to talk about so much when it comes to her situation, but she is truly, and I don't want to say like, oh, she's an inspiration. She is fighting a battle. She shouldn't have to fight. That's what I'm most upset about. Like she shouldn't have to prove to people. She should be able to walk into that hospital and like be able to prove herself in the same way you or I should. Like, you know, people question her ability, like, how do you do this? How do you do that? move over and let me show you. And it wasn't even enough. Like, so growing up, she had 33 major surgeries and used to jokingly blame the doctors for all of her pain. She said that she would tell her orthopedic surgeon that she was going to be a lawyer one day and come back and sue him. And so she actually was recovering from sepsis in the hospital. And that same doctor signed her out so she could attend the junior high school graduation. And she said that he even attended the ceremony to make sure that she was okay. She said, in my memory book, he wrote, please, anything but a lawyer. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she said, I figured if you can't beat them, join them, and that she decided that she was going to be a doctor so that she could figure out how she could cure pain. And that that breaks my heart when I think about how much pain she was she has gone through in her lifetime. She said no one should have to go through the pain that she's been through. But while studying biology and neuroscience at New York's College of Staten Island, and she would audit some medical school classes, she realized that doctors treat the disease and not the person. She said she was much more interested in working hands-on and caring for people directly, she said, just like her nurses did throughout her life. And she said that they took her mom's place when she couldn't be there, and they knew how to make her smile even when she felt like she was at rock bottom. She had never seen a nurse in a wheelchair. And in spite of that, she applied at the CUNY College of Staten Island's nursing program in 2016 and got accepted. So during orientation, a professor pulled her aside and was just assuming that she wasn't going to be able to do bedside care from from a wheelchair and dismissed her for the day. It was just like, okay, you know, you, you don't have to be here. And she said, I told them that the ADA says that you can't kick me out of a program that I've already been accepted to. And I will say, so she says afterwards, she went to the school's office for students with disabilities and the office for diversity and and inclusion to see what legal action she would be able to take and had lots of meetings after that. And she said that she promised to communicate whatever accommodations that she might require. And she made it clear that, quote, I need you to trust that as a nurse, I am going to put patient safety and my safety first. So basically, uh, you know, between professors doubting her capabilities and the constant pressure to prove herself, nursing school was more challenging than she expected. Of course, I can't even imagine, you know, what she must have gone through. We all need to relearn, regardless of ability, how to be safe in different ways. You know, we're, we're retaught how to think and how to assess an environment. So I can only imagine that's even more different when you have to consider your own safety in a different way than everybody else in the class, you know? She says she felt like she just wasn't ever allowed to just be a regular, Mm -hmm. you know, just be a student. They were constantly questioning, you know, well, what if you can't reach something? And she was always having to fight that battle in addition to how difficult nursing school is. And, you know, how are you going to turn a patient? How are you going to carry a basin full of water? All of these things are, of course, of going through her mind and people are questioning her. So she said she started boxing. <laughs> this woman is amazing. If you like go on her Instagram page, you can see her like doing chin ups and like doing weightlifting, like doing resistance work with the weight of her own body. Like I can't do a chin up. So in a lot of ways, she's stronger than I am. She is very strong in so many ways, and she was able to gain enough strength and stamina to be able to pass the CPR test that Mm -hmm. she needed to pass and passed her boards in 2018, became a registered nurse. She finished her Bachelor of Science in Nursing uh, later that year with high marks. She said she'll never forget the looks that she received from a wound care nurse that she was shadowing in the BSN program. She said it was basically... This utter, you know, look of, oh, what am I supposed to do with her? And she said the nurse tried to push her wheelchair for her. And, or please don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that to someone in a wheelchair. That would be the equivalent of like me picking you up and moving you over. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I get very Mm -mm. like, don't do that. I know. 
people just don't know, you know, people just aren't aware and it, they think they're doing something good, try, try, being helpful. So they would offer to grab supplies for her. And she's like, are you sure you can go get it? You know, like these, these people would be like, are you sure you can go get it? Like, and she's like, well, yeah, I can. It, it's just that I think people are just not used to, to not only interacting with, but just working alongside, you know, someone with a disability. And that's something that definitely needs to change because we need to, to be, you know, we need to all be more inclusive and stop questioning these things. I mean, we all have abilities and, and, and quote disabilities. Everybody has disabilities. We, we can't all do everything, you know, no matter what some of some parents try to tell their children. <laughs> and I don't, you know, and I don't compare myself. Of course, I do not compare myself to someone who is wheelchair user or someone who has limb differences. Of course, I don't, you know, I don't negate the privilege that I have there, but two things that I was thinking of as you were talking. Um, one is that I can't reach everything. Like I've worked with nurses that are like at my old job, we, I worked with nurses that were six foot five. I'm like five, one, five, two on a good day when they would like crank up the IV poles to hang the bags. I could barely reach to get the IV poles back down to reach the bags. You figure out a way to make it happen. You ask somebody for help if you need it. That's not to compare myself and say, well, oh, they can, you know, she can figure it out. But like, we're so worried about how someone in a chair is going to like accommodate themselves in a hospital. But people that have disabilities are forced to accommodate themselves to a world that is not built for them every single day of their lives. But you don't see us like all worried about that all the time. I just feel like it's a displaced concern. It's like, well, you're all worried about it now that someone is in your space. But are you, is this a, something that you are altruistically concerned about when they're not in your space? I feel like we need to kind of even out our level of concern. Like if, you know, don't just be oh, well, she can't do it because she can't reach the defibrillator pads. Okay, but she can't reach the freaking open, like the handle to open the door at the mall either. But like she, she, she's been figuring out a way to do that since before there were handicap buttons that she could push to open the door. Like people that have different abilities have been figuring out how to navigate in a world that wasn't built for them their whole lives. I guess my point that I'm ranting about is that give them a chance. Don't just look at someone, you know, if somebody looked at me and I'm five, one, and they said like, oh, you can't code somebody. You can't even reach the the center of the bed because I can't I need a step stool most nurses can't turn over a 500 pound patient a 300 pound patient and look how many 300 pound patients we have in the hospital and you have to figure out a way and what do you have to do you have to ask for help when there's something that you you need to do that you're not you don't have the physical ability to do you have to ask for help and there's nothing wrong with that I need to calm down my outrage voice because when I start to talk about stuff like this I'm like what do you expect? You expect them to modify how they do things just like everyone else does. In her case, I'm especially pleased because she's sharing her journey with everybody. And even as I watch her like videos and listen to her talk, I'm still astounded sometimes by like, wow, you really had to go through that. So anyway, please continue. My tangents ab abound. 
Well, one thing that she says is that there's this very old-fashioned Florence Nightingale view that nurses are pristine in appearance, healthy, and well. She says, though most people with disabilities are healthy, we are constantly being challenged about our abilities. I find that, you know, interesting. And here's another thing. And this is something that I, this is a topic that I want to kind of talk about a lot and maybe in future episodes and, and even in forums, maybe like the podcast collective that we're doing. Why, boy, this is going to be so controversial. I can't even believe I'm saying this. Why does someone who is required a bachelor degree to, to have the level of education and skill that we are required to have, why is it necessary for us to be able to turn a patient, to bathe a patient, to clean a patient up? You know, why are those physical tasks? I feel like we've moved beyond as far as what they require us to know intellectually and all of the responsibility that they've placed on our shoulders of assessing these patients, of being the eyes and ears of the doctor, understanding everything that the doctor could possibly want to do and all the medications and all of the physiological responses that the patient has. In addition to worrying about these things with our patients, we are somehow supposed to be able to be in a room tied up for 30, 45 minutes giving them, turning them, giving them a bath, changing their sheets and doing all of those, all of that physical, you know, laborious labor. I, I'm telling you, I know this is incredibly controversial. And I hope that I don't run people off by saying this, but I, I, it's something I, I really feel in my heart passionate about, because we have, our profession has evolved to a point that we're required so much of our intellect. And yet, we're also required to be in two places or three or four or five or six places at once. I feel it's twofold. And this is my personal opinion, but I feel the, the first part of it is that that physicality of our job to an extent is a necessary component of our assessment. You know, some people are like, oh, well, I'm a nurse now. I don't have to clean up poop. But I attest, and again, some people may agree, some people may disagree. The reason you're a poop cleaner still as a nurse with advanced critical thinking and advanced degrees is because you're assessing color, quantity, odor, texture, et cetera, of their poop. You're assessing their skin. You're assessing their bowel sounds. You're assessing how well they move in the bed. You're assessing whether or not they have ulcers on their skin. You're assessing you know, whether or not you're, you're assessing, you know, a nurse walks into a room and turns a patient. And just in turning that patient, I've assessed a hundred things. I've assessed their neuromuscular status of how well they help me move them. I've assessed their skin. I've assessed their neuro status. I've assessed, you know, whether or not they've urinated or defecated. I've assessed their lines while I was standing at the bedside, waiting for someone to tuck those clean sheets. I've like I've assessed a million things in that time that I was changing their poopy sheets. Exactly. But doctors are able, doctors and nurse practitioners are able to make those same judgments based without having to physically be the one to turn the patient. Here's what I think about that, Adrienne. And I understand the argument. And I know this is probably going to be an uphill battle for a lot of nurses because a lot of nurses, you know, for a lot of nurses, this is a very taboo subject because a lot of people think, oh, if you don't want to do that, you're lazy. I've never been a lazy nurse and I've always been the one to turn the patient, bathe the patient. But my problem is, Hospitals are using this as an excuse to not hire CNAs and to not have assistance. But that's the other thing I was going to say is I think that the on the negative side of things is that we have snowballed 
And here's the thing. I've worked on a lot of units in my time as a nursing assistant, as a nurse, floating clinicals in private hospitals and public hospitals. I've worked home care. I've, I've worked in a lot of settings, whether I'm getting paid or I was a student or whatever. I've worked on units where the leadership is terrible, but the numbers on the floor are great. No infections, no pressure ulcers. Why? Because the nurses make it work because it's a great nursing team, even though they're burned out, they're exhausted, they're underpaid, they're understaffed. Why? Because those nurses make it work. And the nurses say, we are burned out. We cannot do this. And the management says, yes, but your numbers look great. Those numbers look great, not because the nurses are keeping pace and doing it in a sustainable way. They're doing it because they care about their patients and they're doing everything they can. And I think that that's how it's snowballed because they say they can do it in a crisis. They can do it all the time. And that's not to put blame on the nurses for doing it in a crisis. We do that because we are people that actually care and it is unsustainable. So eventually, you know, the ship sinks. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that it it is snowballed over all these generations of nurses. We started as the doctor's helpers, the hand holders, the white shoes, the white caps. We snowballed into, you know, the educators and the advocates and the companions. And now we're the assessors and the clinicians. And it's all kept rolling up in one big snowball and nobody has taken the time to piece apart those roles. So, and the people outside of the hospital, they have no idea what we do, which is why we want to talk about it on the on the podcasters round on the nurses uh, roundtable. Because even people that listen to me talk about my job all the time, my friends, my loved ones, they don't know what the course of my day looks like. They don't realize that within the first hour of my job, I have 26 tasks that are already overdue. And I haven't even like, stop to think of all the things I have to do yet. So I don't think that the world at large realizes that we are doing 27, 28 roles at a time. And now with COVID and not having support staff or not being able to let them in the room because of infection control, now the nurses are housekeeping and meal delivery and the nurse and the doctor and the the liaison between the family and the now we do have all those roles and the worry is if and when covid is a thing of the past are all these roles just going to be mushed into the snowball and are we ever going to remember that it wasn't a part of the snowball to begin with well that's what's happened i mean it, it was already happening before covid even happened where oh we we just can't get phlebotomists. So we're going to have to have you guys in ICU draw your own blood. You got to draw them yourself until eventually you don't have a phlebotomy department. And eventually the new nurses that are hired on don't even remember, you know, they weren't even there at a time when you had phlebotomy draw this. So they just think that that's general practice that as a nurse, you draw all your own labs all the time. This is why we are in the crisis that we're in, that we're in this advanced crisis from where we were. We were already in a crisis before. And nurses have just always kind of taken up the slack. And, you know, they look at that garbage overflowing and there is nobody to come around and clean it up. And they don't, I don't want my patient to be in a room where the garbage is overflowing. I don't want my patient to look 
from their ventilator even if their eyes open and see this messy countertop and garbage flowing into the floor. I feel like my patients do better when the room is clean <laughs> and tidy. And the room doesn't smell like whatever's in the trash. Yeah, I just want, you know, I want it all out of there. So what am I doing? I'm cleaning it all up. I'm doing the job that there sh- literally should be someone coming in and taking out that garbage, not just one time as in the morning, if that, but literally that's their job as to I should not be having to think about emptying the garbage. Who in the world, what profession do you know that requires a bachelor degree requires that person to take out the garbage, let alone change the bed sheets, take out the linens, clean up a patient that has, you know, pooped all over themselves. It's not required, but yeah. we will do it because we don't, I can't, I'm not going to let my patient right, lay there right. like that. I'm not going to let my patient be in a room like that. I don't want my family members you know, to look at the floor and be like, grief, what is going on with this place? <laughs> the floor is nasty. And so we take on all of these roles. Right. And then they become our roles. Yeah. And so I find myself walking back and forth to the, to the you know, the garbage bin and, and to the garbage chute, you know, and the linen chute and taking those things out myself. And so many times doing that, I'm just thinking, what am I not doing by doing this? Like, because the, let me just tell you, that on days that we do have somebody to take out the garbage and then we do have somebody to help with baths or turning or that sort of thing. Do you think I just sit there on my phone scrolling and not doing anything? I'm literally just as busy as I ever am. So there's things that I'm not doing. I can promise you that are more clinically, you know, related of that. I'm not going to get done that just won't get done. So because I'm doing this other person's job. And not to mention that there's another, there's a person out there that probably would like to have that job. But I think it does all get back to the point of like, okay, so this person who happens to have this disability or, you know, this is, this is the limitation that they may have in this environment. Well, they can't push a 300 pound striker bed. Nobody should have to push a 300 pound striker bed. Like there are these things that we're like all worried that a person in a wheelchair, for example, cannot do, but it's like, there's a lot more they can do than they can't. And for example, I have carpal tunnel. Okay. I do not consider this to be a life altering disability. Okay. Like people don't look at me and go, Oh, she has carpal tunnel. They don't whisper. They don't look at me. You know, I don't get, but if there was a code, I know right away, I am not the strongest person in the room to do compressions. They tell you when you start on a team, know what your strengths are. I'm going to be the person running the med cart. I'm going to be the person recording. I'm going to be the person giving rescue breaths. I'm not going to be the person that's going to step up unless I'm in the room when they code. But then most of the time, you're not going to be the person doing compressions the entire time. So there are instances where a wheelchair user, to use a correct and fair term, is not going to need to do 18 rounds of CPR on somebody. So let's talk about it how it is. There are roles you can fulfill without automatically being assumed that you cannot be a nurse. She can do an assessment. She can chart an assessment. She can modify her workstation to fit her. She can boost a patient. 
you know, and also to dismiss somebody immediately gives them not even a chance. That also brings into question nurses who are obese, nurses who are short, nurses who have cardiac conditions. Like, where do we stop? Just because you can't, like, I can't run a mile without being completely winded and laying down on the ground. Does that mean I shouldn't be allowed to be? I mean, where are we going to draw the line? Nurses do not need to be Olympic athletes to be nurses. We have so many roles that we fill that I think that, and maybe I'm losing my point in my rambling, but I think that we cannot look at someone and decide how good they're going to be at their job. And so I think that in the case of Andrea, she posts, and I have one of her posts pulled up in front of me. And one of the things that she said was that she posts about her life to show the world that her life does not stop with disability and that her disability does not require a cure for her to lead her best life. And the thing that is so messed up about her story, which is a little bit later in that article that you sent me, is that she gets work as a bedside nurse and she does it very well, I might add, during crisis, right? And then as soon as her contract ended, she applied for a permanent job. Did they hire her? No. Even though she had physically demonstrated on the unit that she was a competent and capable nurse. That to me is the problem right there. You saw it with your own eyes. And I'm speaking to like the administrators in her hospital. You saw it with your own eyes. And so it's that kind of limitation that our leadership has just kind of across the country that puts these limitations. It's like, what more does she have to do? What more do nurses in general have to do? There's a, there are other nurses as well that I follow on Instagram that are wheelchair users, and they too are bomb-ass nurses. So... I want to challenge everyone to really think about what your first perceptions are. If you were to see someone in scrubs on your unit using either walking assistive devices or using a chair, because I think that we need to challenge all the way all of us would think about that because I'm not used, I wouldn't be used to it. I mean, we work firsthand with people that use wheelchairs and we see how capable they are of living very full, very productive lives. When I worked on the neurosurgery floor, I worked with a man um, or I took care of a patient who was a paraplegic and had been for many years. It was delegated to me to help him transfer from bed to wheelchair. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, he's paraplegic. I need all this equipment. When I got a slide board, I got a slip sheet, I got all this stuff. And he was like, oh, I'll just put my wheelchair right here. And he just like flipped himself over into the wheelchair with one motion and was telling me about how he rides. For those of you that have never lived in Iowa, we have an annual bike race called Ragbri, and it's where people ride from the Missouri River on the west end of the state. Over the course of several days, they ride all the way across Iowa and they stop in different cities every night and they like party and like ride literally all the way across the state of Iowa. And then they they dip their tire, their back tire in the Missouri River, and then they ride across Iowa and then they dip their front tire in the Mississippi River. Like they go all the way across the state. This man did ragbri with a hand bike every year where he would just like pedal with his hands. 
I can't ride like from here to the grocery store without being sweaty and winded. So here I have this idea in my head that I need all this equipment to help this poor man get into his wheelchair. And this guy can ride across the state of Iowa on a bike. So we just need to challenge what we think about people and their ability levels before we make up our minds about how much help we, the able-bodied, need to give them. Because that man could have whooped my ass on a bike a thousand times over. So anyway, sorry, another big tangent, but... No, but it's true. And it's a great illustration as to how, you know, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And we shouldn't just, you know, look at somebody and just decide, just because of however they happen to get around that that means that you can't, you know, be a nurse and start thinking of all the ways that just, you know, we we have to work on ourselves, me, you know, I'm I'm talking to myself, you know, and and instead of looking at someone, yeah, we all it's it's just gonna, it's it's something that's gonna happen naturally, you know, that you're gonna be like, wait, how would you do this? How would you do that? Instead of doing that, you know, just think about, you know, applauding that person for the bravery and the courage that it takes to step up and apply for a job like that. And sit back and watch how they do it because I guarantee you they're going to figure they they're not going to apply for a job if they haven't thought this stuff out let me just tell you that so <laughs> they will figure out a way so I say you know let's sit back and figure and, and watch it's going to be amazing and they're going to be just wonderful wonderful nurses and whatever it is that they want to do so I appreciate her so much I'm following her on social media now too and I'm so thankful to have found this story and to get to watch her journey and see she's, you know, working now to be advocates for other people with disabilities. And, and I love that. And she continues to work on bringing more exposure and light and education to this topic. And honestly, I just, I admire her just for putting up with all the BS and all the rejection and still being this like positive, like beautiful person that continues to share. So I continue to like read her posts and just be like, I want, like, I want to have her on my show, but you know, I get so fervent and like, exasperated about talking about stuff like this that she'd probably be like whoa settle down it's okay we're good (laughs) I'm sure she would appreciate you know your excitement about that and and probably wishes more people you know would get in her corner when it comes to this sort of thing because it's needed for sure I've just I've been surprised by enough people that I'm not as surprised anymore when I'm like you a badass oh my god you're so good I'm not surprised as much anymore I'm just like give, give people a chance let them show you how awesome they can be because what are we taught in preschool you can't judge a book by its cover so stop trying Well, I guess that kind of wraps it up for this episode. What a great show this has been. Adrian, remind everybody where they can find you if they want to to listen to your podcast. Yeah. NursingUncensored.com is the home for everything. The podcast, the blog, the videos, it's all right there. And we've got episodes going back four years, blogs going back about as far, videos on all sorts of stuff. So yeah, NursingUncensored.com. And you guys know you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can email me at Tina at goodnursebadnurse. And we're on Instagram at goodnursebadnurse. We're on Twitter and Facebook for some reason at GNBN Podcast. And (laughs) I love to hear from you guys. Send me your messages and emails or whatever. I love it when you guys send me messages and give me your stories and just be like, hey, did you ever heard of this one? And it just, I love it. It thrills me to death to get emails and messages from you guys. So 
And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Adrian? Yes. <laughs> you guys, please be a good nurse. <laughs>